Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversation, Children's Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement and leadership, Spark Conversations is a new solution-focused podcast that brings audiences engaging stories, reflections, and system improvement ideas from leaders in child health. I'm Paula Robeson, and today we're talking with Dr. Christine Chambers, Emily Grunewald, and Lisa Wolf about Inspiring Healthy Futures, We Can for Kids. We Can for Kids is co-sponsored by CIHR's Institute of Human Development, Child and Youth Health, Children's Healthcare Canada, UNICEF Canada, and the Pediatric Chairs of Canada. It's my pleasure to introduce leaders from these organizations who conceived of the We Can for Kids initiative. Emily Grunwald is President and CEO of Children's Healthcare Canada and Executive Director of the Pediatric Chairs of Canada. Lisa Wolf is Director, Policy and Research for UNICEF Canada. Christine Chambers is Scientific Director for the Institute of Human Development, Child and Youth Health at the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. Hello, and welcome to Spark Conversations. Thank you for being with us today, albeit virtually, and thank you for responding to the three teaser questions which we've posted on our blog, Spark Ideas. For our our audience, if you have not already done so, you may wish to pause this episode and check out these written responses on our Spark Ideas page of the Children's Healthcare Canada website, and then come back and join us. Hello, Lisa, Emily, and Christine. Welcome to Spark Conversations. Lisa, I'll start with you. We've heard you speak about the relationship between the UNICEF Report Card 16 and the We Can for Kids initiative. Perhaps you can get this discussion going by letting us know what we've learned from this report card and how it relates to the initiative. Well, let's start with the the headline ranking in the report card. The UNICEF report cards compare rich countries in uh, outcomes for children and youth because Really, the countries that have similar resources, uh, similar economic wealth, should be able to get reasonably similar outcomes for young people. Uh, the fact that we don't, uh, you know, is is telling in terms of the um, the room for progress. So, Canada ranked 30th in child and youth well-being among 38 rich countries in our most recent report card, and that was certainly surprising to some. Um, dispiriting to others. And I think what really stands out uh, are are two things in relation to that ranking. One is that even though Canada's wealth has been rising for many, many years, children's uh, mental health and happiness has been falling over the last 20 years. And uh, we also have one of the highest rates of adolescent suicide in this country, we have a, a low level of young people's life satisfaction. One in four youth in Canada at age 15 reports low life satisfaction. So we have this paradox of um, poor mental well-being and happiness among young people in a time of unprecedented wealth, in a time of plenty. And I guess the second thing that stands out to me is that in a time of plenty, we still haven't achieved even the basics of a good life. Um, it, in, in child mortality, for instance, uh, Canada's rate uh, of mortality between ages 15 and 19 trails quite far behind other countries. The Nordic countries achieve half of Canada's rate. 
And uh, among these mm, disturbing um, statistics, we also have to recognize that Canada actually has one of the best economic and social and environmental uh, contexts for growing up in rich countries. We simply aren't using our wealth, our good conditions for well-being um, and translating those into good outcomes for young people. So what impact do you suspect the COVID-19 has had on the findings of the report card? Well, the report card provides uh, a baseline of child and youth well-being just before the pandemic hit them. And uh, it looks at the policy environment around them as well and takes talk, stock of, of that. Uh, so really what's been happening uh, based on the evidence that we do have is that the pandemic has further exposed weaknesses in some of the policies and systems and services around children, like childcare and parental leave. Uh, systems that were already insufficient because they uh, simply never reached uh, enough children. But it's also disrupted the systems that were functioning relatively better and where Canada invests relatively better compared to other countries like public education and healthcare. It's revealed the fractures in all of these systems uh, that, that occur because of systemic racism and social exclusion. So really, uh, you know, the, the pandemic is placing even greater pressure uh, on the areas of life that we measured in the report card where our children in Canada were already falling behind and uh, risks much wider inequities between the children in our country. So, Christine, this is the backdrop for the um, development of We Can for Kids. Can you tell us how it began, the collaboration, and why now? Yeah, thanks. It's, um, you know, it's really exciting to be working with Lisa and Emily on this collaboration. And it's interesting to reflect on, on how it started. So I began my new role as uh, scientific director of the CIHR Institute of Human Development, Child and Youth Health in January. So just, you know, two and a half months before the start of the pandemic. And, um, you know, one of my tasks in this leadership role was to initiate the next uh, strategic plan for our institute. And our institute within CIHR is focused on supporting and funding research that ensures the best start in life for all Canadians and the achievement of their potential for optimal growth and development. So just as the pandemic was beginning, uh, we were about to go live with our engagement for our research strategic planning. And of course, when the pandemic hit, uh, we decided to, to put a pause on that and, and um, you know, a couple of months later, uh, as we were sort of readjusting to our new virtual world and, and realizing that there was going to be a long road ahead for all of us in um, organizations focused on children's and family health and well-being. Um, we happened to have a conversation with Emily around how it just didn't seem right that I would pursue a separate strategic plan focused on research at a time where so many people were starting to recognize the need to work together and come together to um, to 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 find you know collective impact and and um, teamwork and and cooperation and so uh, Emily had been in conversations with Lisa at UNICEF Canada about the upcoming report card and really the the idea sort of just emerged of why don't we work together we are all in positions and organizations where we can um, influence uh, agendas and and you know um, allocate resources to particular uh, components of making, you know, healthier futures for kids and families. 
And so that's really where the conversation began. And so we pivoted our approach within um, our institute to folding our strategic planning process in part as part of this larger national conversation um, about you know, how we can inspire healthy futures for our kids. And, you know, I'm, of course, wearing my, my researcher hat uh, and science hat in, the, in these conversations. Um, and, you know, for me, this has always fit very well with how I think about research. I, I don't see research as a standalone. Um, research is a critical part of informing uh, practice and policy, but often we don't have the right relationships or partnerships to um, bring about the change that we'd like to see and that the science supports. So it was really just a, a natural evolution. And um, I think this is really where oh, there's so many committed groups in Canada who are focused on child and family health and well-being. And, you know, it just made sense that we needed to coordinate, needed to collaborate. And the response has been incredible. So building on that, outcomes for children's health and well-being are often related to a number of other conditions, um, economic, environmental, social conditions. How does We Can for Kids plan to account for it? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think this pandemic has really um, shone a spotlight on sort of the our, our need to think about health in a much broader way than we ever have before. So, you know, in my area, there's sort of more traditional view around what health means and what health is composed of. And again, in the pandemic, we've understood now the incredible, um, you know, contributions that children's schooling makes to children's health and well-being. So these broader sort of social determinants of health, these economic environment, social conditions, I mean, these are, are critical drivers. And I think one of the things that our initiative is doing is pulling people who are committed to children and families from across sectors. So in some of our early conversations with our executive champions and our core strategy team, you know, we've been able to engage leaders from, from sectors who would not normally uh, in necessarily engage, you know, educators and um, you know, uh, pediatricians who you would think have more opportunity to engage, but but don't usually. So I think the initiative is really, um, you know, taking a broad view of health and well-being. And one of the pieces of the UNICEF report card that really has resonated with me is just how inequities within a country are really what drive, um, you know, poor outcomes. And so I think taking an, an equity framework um, as we move forward uh, in conceptualizing health and well-being um, is going to really help uh, us conceptualize what are the outcomes and what are the influences that, that we need to have. Emily, throughout the pandemic and even in the recent years prior to COVID, we've seen a real focus on improving seniors' care. In this context, what impact do you hope we can for kids might have on child health and well-being? Well, that's a great question, Paula. I think uh, Lisa spoke earlier about the findings of Report Card 16, but those findings aren't new. Canada has been struggling in the middle of the pack, so to speak, with respect to the UNICEF um, findings for many years. And, you know, the pandemic, I think, has brought to light some of the inequities and disparities that our children, youth and families are experiencing. You know, we talk a lot and we've um, seen firsthand the direct impacts that COVID-19 has had on our seniors population, which is devastating. And absolutely, our country needs to do more to support 
long-term care centers and ensure that there is um, safety in in those care centers for our, our seniors population. But at the same time, children have also been greatly affected by COVID-19. There's a great expression that we use in the children's health community. So children have not been greatly infected by COVID, but they have been greatly affected by COVID. And the direct and indirect effects of the pandemic on our children have been significant. And so I think what we're hoping with We Can for Kids is we can put a spotlight back on the health and well-being of our children, youth and families and recognize that Canada needs to consider a bolder and more balanced approach to policies and investments um, for these populations. We know that healthy children, by and large, grow up to be healthy youth and healthy um, adults. And so there is a real economic argument as well as a social argument for focusing our time, energy and resources on our youngest generation. So we do hope that We Can for Kids will bring new energy, new ideas, new priorities, um, for Canada with respect to um, our children, youth and families. Anything to add, Lisa, Christine? Well, I would add to that that uh, young people you know, today will also be carrying the impacts of COVID the longest. It'll, it's, as Emily referenced, it's affecting more areas of their life than any other population. It's disrupted every aspect of their development. And uh and they will carry the scars the longest because they're young. Um, as well, they're going to have to pay the debt that we're incurring to uh, control the infection. So um, we want to see coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, better policies that at their very core um, set young people up for success in, in the road ahead. And that means boosting um, how we uh, you know, support their health, their mental, physical health, um, h- help them to be resilient, um, invest in reducing child and youth poverty, which affects so many areas of life and, and is at risk of rising into next year. So we have to think long term when we think about this, uh, this, uh, this pandemic. I'll, I'll jump in here too, just to say I completely agree with everything Emily and Lisa have said. And, you know, I think one of the most fascinating aspects of this pandemic is the very different impact it's had um, at other end of the lifespan. So Emily really nicely, you know, articulated the devastating impact on older Canadians. And, um, but, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the other type of impact that we've seen on children and families. And for me, I mean, it's been a challenge, um, like many people in this space, always keeping children and family on, on, on the radar. Uh, and I think, you know, hopefully we'll be able to inspire the importance of a, of a life cycle perspective and the needs um, when reflecting on health and well-being of always taking a developmental slant and, and that children and families need to be considered as, as part of, you know, this, this framework for approaching health and well-being. So given the status of Canada uh, compared to the world, for many years we've been stuck in the middle or even worse with respect to our international standing. What difference can we, can for kids, uh, expect to make in our international ranking? So, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I think the report card really does help us identify a, a few key areas where we can make a difference. And, you know, in, in my role at CIHR, you know, two of the main priorities for us are identifying knowledge gaps. So where do we need new science? 
And also then how do we move existing science, which we have incredible science is in the, you know, maternal uh, child family space in Canada. How do we, we move that into practice? So, you know, with my research hat on, I would say that, you know, this process is helping us to understand where the gaps are in the knowledge and where the gaps are in our ability to move knowledge into practice. And, you know, one of the, the key barriers to moving research into practice is just people, scientists often not having the right connections, not having the right relationships. And so this initiative is really bringing together people from diverse um, diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds to work together. And, you know, one of our key outputs for this initiative is, is a framework that um, will map out next steps for Canadian children and families. And it's our vision that this framework will, um, any organization will be able to use this to help um, map out its own internal strategic planning, um, allocate resources so that we're all working in a coordinated way to improving health and well-being of Canadian children and families, um, thereby improving our international standing in children's health. You mentioned, Christine, that there are multiple perspectives involved in the success of a We Can For Kids initiative. Emily, what role do you see children and youth playing in We Can For Kids? Great question, Paula. We believe children and youth play an integral role in helping us shape um, the process and the outcomes for We Can For Kids. From the very offset, Christine, Lisa, and I recognized that their voice um, was really important, not only as an input to the process, but also at the leadership tables. So we have youth and family partners involved at all levels of the initiative. We have youth and families sitting on our executive leadership table. We have them sitting at the core strategy team. And of course, we've had very focused engagement opportunities with them throughout the initiative to date. And we expect that that will continue. It's really refreshing, the voice, the perspectives um, that the youth are bringing to the conversations that we're having. They're so passionate. And yet at the same time, they really bring to light the urgency of this initiative. We were on a call, um, gosh, last week, I think it was, and we were hearing, you know, for, for some youth, just how desperate the situation was, the context of COVID and how uncertain they were about what the future looked like for them. And I think all of us just took a deep breath and, and realized or remembered, you know, this is, this is who we're doing this for. This is the purpose of this initiative is to, to inspire that opportunity for a healthy future for these youth. So, um, you know, I can't underestimate or, or overestimate, I suppose, um, the, the significance of their role throughout this initiative. And, you know, I think um, I just want to loop back to, to something Christine just mentioned immediately prior to this question, Paul, and it was just with respect to, you know, how we can for kids um, might impact change in Canada. And I think, you know, um, to the comments about the report card and being stuck in the middle, our organizations really recognized we need to do something differently, doing the same thing over and over again, developing, creating, implementing strategy with our own silos isn't helping us to get ahead. And, you know, so I would have add, or I'd like to add that I hope We Can For Kids is taking this novel approach to co-creating strategy, co-creating priorities, and really a new focus on what we can create together. Um, so I, I am very hopeful that this initiative will um, inspire remarkable change. And one of the outputs of that change, hopefully, would be uh, an improvement in our international rankings. 
So if this resulting framework defines up to a dozen co-created priorities for collective action, what does the collective action mean to you, Christine? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting for me to think about all of these groups and organizations and stakeholders moving forward uh, together. Uh, So, you know, for me, that's what collective action, you know, means is, is that we are all moving forward. Um, We all are able to impact and influence different pieces of this, but that we are all moving forward together. To that, I would add that, you know, children's health is, is not seen just as a problem for children's health sector to solve. It's, it's a very sensitive indicator of, of, you know, deficits in other policy areas, which is why we've been talking about other sectors and economic and social conditions. You know, it's a collective action that um, includes improved, um, you know, income benefits for families, um, children's early childcare and development supports uh, are going to be key to lifting up children's health. And we're starting to see, you know, commitments, new commitments and meaningful commitments um, in, in governments now, you know, to do that work. We're starting to see political parties actually come together around some of those priorities. And, um, you know, really, if if we're working together, we're going to be impossible to ignore when the difficult decisions, you know, come up um, very soon in terms of how to scale back uh, the stimulus spending to respond to the early part of the the uh, pandemic and how we're going to make sure that children and youth uh, are a priority going forward. So you've established the framework. There's considerable um, commitments on behalf of a number of uh, different sectors and, and organizations. How do you establish accountability for the framework? In terms of accountability, I think, you know, we have come together as four organizations uh, as co-sponsors. And so, you know, we are, uh, you know, uh, ultimately, um, you know, uh, the determiners of the of the accountability and monitoring, monitoring for that. But I, I think for me, it's not so much about it, about the accountability side as the empowerment engagement side, um, you know, reaching diverse stakeholders, creating a pathway for them to provide input in, in a meaningful way um, that can be used moving forward to the benefit of children and families. So, you know, accountability is, is a piece of it, but I, I see it as really a pathway um, of, you know, engagement, uh, input, uh, and, and then making sure that we, we do deliver uh, on what we are aiming to achieve. And how will you know We Can for Kids has been successful? Well, I wanted to pick up on the on you know one of Lisa's points around how just children aren't a priority, and and I think for me, uh, I will know that our initiative has been successful if we don't see children constantly positioned as an afterthought. Um, you know, even within this pandemic. Uh, you know, people don't realize that, uh, you know, to date, no child, you know, no child under the age of 12 has participated in a vaccine trial. Uh, you know, the rapid testing that now is getting a lot of, of um, discussion for, for COVID has not been validated in children. Uh, you know, children are often an afterthought. They're often not prioritized. And so, you know, for me, that would be 
you know, a key impact indicator would be that children are part of the conversation, part of the consideration from day one. Um, and, and I think also, you know, we are in the child and family, you know, health communities are, are well connected. We all share the same values and goals. Uh, but we often don't have a lot of visibility outside of our uh, immediate sort of environment. And so I think another indicator for us will be that we, um, our, our initiative gains so much momentum that, I, you know, Lisa said this today, and I, and I always love when she says this, that it will be impossible to ignore, um, that, you know, this will just need to be something that, that um, needs to be addressed uh, moving forward, that, again, not an, not an afterthought, not forgotten, but children and families prioritized. I would add to that the relationship aspect. So just thinking about this from an organization perspective that we can be um, stronger together as we tackle some of these really significant challenges and that we're also positioned to be better partners with government. We know that the federal government, the provincial governments play a very important role in the health and well-being of our children and youth. And our goal is to be working shoulder to shoulder with them in lockstep. So I really hope um, also, in addition to what Christine mentioned, that um, we develop deeper and stronger relationships with other champions in children's health and well-being and with different governments. Any last words, Lisa? Well, ultimately, I would love to be um, back in conversation in a few years with the next UNICEF report card, um, you know, showing a higher ranking. And it's, it's, it's really not the ranking that matters as much as the fact that behind that would mean that we have reduced child mortality. We have finally um, started to bend the curve on uh, children's unhealthy weight, that young people are starting to say, you know what, uh, my life looks better. Um, I'm happier. And, and, and we'll be doing that because uh, we have started to reduce child poverty and uh, made children more of a priority in our spending, whether that's in health um, or in, you know, the economic and social policies where Canada's actually been lagging farthest behind other countries. Oh, I'm so excited by the potential of this initiative to improve the lives of children and youth in Canada. I, I look forward to following the progress and seeing just what we can all do together for kids in Canada to engage children and youth and consider child health in all policies. With the momentum you've already generated, I really do believe that We Can for Kids and child health and well-being will be impossible to ignore moving forward. So thank you so much for your time. To stay up to date on all of our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, related teaser questions and answers, visit our childrenshealthcarecanada.ca website and subscribe to our Spark newsletter if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. Before we go, show some love for the new podcast series by leaving us a review. And then stay tuned and keep an eye out on our website for our next podcast episode. Take care. Have a great day. <music>